I'm Peter Medlin. What's up and welcome back to Teacher's Lounge, the podcast where we tell the stories of education and of the educators who inspire us and make it all happen. This week, the Teacher's Lounge is actually a student teacher's lounge. We have DeKalb Founders Elementary School student teacher and Northern Illinois University senior Evadne Bolin. We talked about how coronavirus affects her both as a student teacher and just as a college student. Now we switch to this online format, so it's kind of difficult to navigate how much am I supposed to be doing now. We also got into her journey to education and how she's kind of been a student teacher since like the seventh grade. My interview with Evadne is a bit different because of some technical snafus trying to do this whole podcasting from home thing. I'll explain later. It's a little bit shorter, so we're actually going to stuff this podcast full of some other cool education stories to make it doubly worth your while. Sound good? Sounds good. And in the meantime, I want you to be a part of the show. I want to hear from you, students, parents, teachers, everyone. Send us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu and tell us what it's been like learning or teaching from home. And if you want to, record your thoughts and your feelings into your phone. Use your voice memos app. You can actually just, if you have an iPhone, slide up in your main screen, type in the word voice and it'll easily come up, and then just send the voice file to teacherslounge at niu.edu, and we'll have it on the show for you. In fact, we have some perspectives from a few educators right now. First up, here's one from a few weeks back by another Oregon teacher. I know, what are the odds on that? Anyway, here is middle school teacher Andrew Wheeler. As I record this perspective, it is now day four of our school district shutdown because of COVID-19. And I'm about stark raving loony for two reasons. First, e-learning is going to be no substitute for the intellectual fervor of a good class discussion. And second, junior high kids are hilarious, so I'm missing the dozens of good laughs I often get in a day. None of us will be getting the brain food to which we are accustomed. Then there's the problem with kids getting actual food. Catastrophes always have a way of exposing fundamental problems with economic structures. Here's a statistic that embodies one of those problems. According to CountyHealth.org, averaging all counties in the WNIJ listening area, 47% of public school students receive free or reduced breakfast and lunch. What this means is that the income levels of those kids' households hover at a level where food insecurity is an ongoing problem. Or we could look at it another way. There are large pockets in this first world country with large pockets of third world country problems. Perhaps with this disaster we will figure out a way to take out the poor in the term working poor and shift it to working and doing okay. On a positive note, make it a point to thank those in your local school district who, in a matter of a few days, worked out the monstrous logistics to get food to those kids who need it. They represent the very best of what it means to be a public servant. And here is another perspective, this time from the Dean of the NIU College of Education, Lori Elish Piper. In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, there is one unexpected silver lining that I just have to share. Teachers are finally getting some of the love and respect that they so sincerely deserve from parents who now have that role, at least temporarily. Praise for educators is all over social media right now, and even celebrities and sports stars are acknowledging how challenging it is to teach and how appreciative they are for their children's teachers. Teachers of all levels, from preschool through college, have shifted their instruction online while also demonstrating their compassion and concern for their students. 
Teacher car parades are driving through neighborhoods with signs to remind children and families that their teachers care about and miss them. Teachers are calling students to show they care, and online class sessions are routinely beginning with check-ins to make sure everyone is okay. Has the shift to at-home learning been perfect? Absolutely not. But educators across our state and nation made this move almost overnight. And daily they are showing their willingness to go above and beyond because they care about education, but more importantly, because they care about their students. In this pandemic, I am grateful for healthcare professionals, first responders, grocery and drugstore workers, restaurant employees, and delivery drivers. They are truly on the front lines and deserve our admiration. But that roster of essential employees is incomplete. I think we need to add educators to the list. We've got another one, but let's save it for later on in the show. Okay, we're going to start today with a more serious story that's not really COVID-19 related. This is a story about prisons and the effort to get education to those who are incarcerated, more specifically civics education, teaching about voting and voting rights, and about how some of the people leading the charge for those rights and for learning about those things are the people serving time themselves. A few years ago, DePaul professor Dr. Christina Rivers started teaching a different kind of law and politics course. About half of the class is made up of typical DePaul students, and the other students are serving time at the Stateville Correctional Center. And the class is held inside the maximum security prison. Her class does a group project where they create a policy proposal, and half of the project students presented were about voting rights and education in the first year at Stateville. And a plan for the Re-Entering Civics Education Act blossomed from there in the Illinois General Assembly. So you have the directly impacted folks in some cases, you know, pretty much at the head of of these efforts. Ann Gillespie was one of the Senate co-sponsors of the proposal. For her, the most important part was that the programs are peer-led instead of just being taught by a teacher or staff member. That this is a community responsibility that we are saying you now have this right to exercise and it's important that you do it. The classes are part of release protocols for people leaving within a year. It's the first of its kind in any state in the country. Really hope they're not the last, says Rivers, but the issue runs deeper. She says many incarcerated people don't even know what their rights are. Whenever I go to register voters at Cook County Jail, um, so often they'll say, you know, we were told that we couldn't do this. That's partially due to the array of different laws in different states around felony disenfranchisement. In Illinois, once you're released from prison, you can re-register to vote right away. In some states, Rivers says parole, probation, or court fines can cause your rights to be withheld. It can become all but permanent if it's relying on people paying back fees and fines where they don't have the money. Iowa is now the only state where people charged with felonies lose their right to vote for life. Even with Illinois' more progressive stance, the courses emphasize your need to get an ID to facilitate your voter registration and help you get other necessary paperwork. Timna Axel is the communications director of the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. They also helped craft the plan, and she says education and civic engagement play a big role in reducing recidivism. Those folks tend to have a lot stronger bonds when they leave and tend to have a better chance of staying out of the incarceration cycle. The civics education courses come at the same time as a measure to expand voting rights for pretrial detainees who haven't been convicted of a crime. It also allowed the Cook County Jail to become a temporary polling location during the midterm elections in March. Alex Boutros was one of those DePaul students in the Inside Out class. Now she's an organizing manager at Chicago Votes, a nonprofit voting rights organization and advocacy group. She got to go to the jail during early voting. It was really beautiful to know that these men are casting their ballot and really making their voice heard, even though knowing that they're going to be put in a cage when they're done. Boutros says it also mandates every county jail to have a vote-by-mail system in place. 
The civics classes will look a little different for people in youth facilities. Heidi Muller is the director of the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice. They hope the courses can be co-led by peer leaders and professional education trainers. She says they also might have to get staff trained in order to carry out the classes. Advocates hope it can lead to expanding the limited higher ed offerings in correctional facilities. Timna Axel with the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights says it's good these laws were partially written by people who are in prison themselves. That way there's investment from the people affected to keep fighting for their rights when they get out. The effort that it took to get to these rights can be easily rescinded. The more seriously we all take this responsibility to be civically engaged and to vote, the more likely we are to keep these very cherished rights that we have. The general elections are in November, and the law mandated courses begin by the end of June. But the program relies on outside education instructors. And with several people at Stateville dying of COVID-19 and others contracting the virus, it will more than likely be delayed. All right, so the news roundup. The news has been a lot lately. We all know this, so let's get the major stuff out of the way up top. Illinois officials are going to be making a decision on whether schools will be closed for the rest of the school year by the end of this week. I don't know what that decision is as of yet by the time I'm recording this, but there's a good chance that you will by the time that you hear this. So Google it if you haven't found out yet. Also, early childhood education is of course being affected by coronavirus. Most daycares are closed across the state. But if you are still open for families of essential service workers. Kindercare is one of the biggest daycare providers in the country, and around a quarter of its locations are still open across Illinois. Dee Kotman said the company had to choose locations mostly based on their proximity to hospitals. She's a district leader for Kindercare and oversees more than a dozen of its facilities in northern Illinois. Along with extra building sanitization, Kotman says they're also stepping up health screenings for their students. We have temperature checks with a health and safety manager to bring them into the building so parents do not enter at this time. The center's also limited maximum class sizes to 10, where previously they could stretch that to 20. She said educators chose whether they'd like to keep teaching, and the company's been utilizing staff from closed locations. Kindercare's prices haven't changed due to COVID-19, but Illinois is offering financial support to help essential workers pay for childcare. Have you thought about what it's like trying to learn and teach the arts online? I'm talking about music, sculpture, acting. It's been a challenge, but I talked to some really creative people who are figuring it out and making some awesome art while they're at it. If there's one thing you get from this podcast, go to our website after you're done listening, of course, and go to the post for this episode and take a look at the sculpture I described at the beginning of this story. It's strange, it's kind of freaky, it's kind of scary, and unexpectedly beautiful, much like these times that we're trying to live through right now. Anyway, on with it. Have you seen visualizations of what the coronavirus looks like under a microscope? It looks like a small sphere with little spikes coming off it. Now picture those tendrils as human fingers clawing out of the center of the sphere. Like everyone else, Veronica Stork is locked out of campus art studios for the rest of her senior year at Northern Illinois University. She made that sculpture in her apartment, illustrating how the virus and social distancing has changed our lives. In my head, thinking about just how it changes the role of touch within a culture and just kind of how that becomes kind of almost a more fearful thing. Being stuck at home also means she doesn't have many art supplies or power tools. It's almost kind of given me a kick to do some of those things that maybe in the back of my head I've been like, oh, I should do or I want to do. The fine arts major with a sculpture focus even stuck her hands in the mud outside to craft a human figure. Over in the performing arts, the challenge is different. 
There's no replacing the immediacy of live theater, and there's no replacing a live concert or recital. But Alex Gelman says it's worth remembering that art's greatest enemy can be a lack of limitations. He's the head of Northern Illinois University's School of Theater and Dance. We teach how to deal with strictures and how to employ them in our art making. That's forcing acting students in the spirit of improv to say yes and to their circumstances and adjust the performance accordingly, even with Shakespeare. They reach the conclusion that, that to be or not to be is being done on Instagram Live, and it is towards the end of the scene that Hamlet realizes that Ophelia has been eavesdropping by seeing her on the screen. Actors and musicians are performing with each other from miles apart with no audience present. And musicians are recording themselves or trying small Zoom ensembles. Andrew Glendening is the director of the School of Music. He says they're trying to work through challenges with students, instruments, and locations. In some cases, landlords are being really good about, you know, let's keep it during the business hours and talk to your neighbors. And in other cases, we're trying to get uh, students equipped with practice mutes. Students may have to practice the trombone outside. Some music students find themselves locked out of concert halls, where they've been working a year on competition recordings. Others don't even have their instruments, and the school is racing to ship them the equipment. But it hasn't stopped students and faculty from making music. Just listen to NIU jazz professor Reggie Thomas and his coronavirus-inspired song. Glendenning says they're also thinking about younger musicians, and they'll be working on projects helping students in the community boost their skills while they're stuck at home. Other artists, like sculptors, depend on an audience, too. At the end of your fine arts degree, there are important public art exhibitions to show off your work. Douglas Botan is the director of the NIU School of Art and Design. People come, and the, the kids, particularly the master's students, often get uh, opportunities for job offers because of the show. And, of course, we're not having a show. The art shows are moving online, too, and he says art education students are doing practicums and student teaching online as well. Bowden says even art programs like metal and jewelry design are adapting because most of their work is done via digital software these days. One of Veronica Stork's sculpture professors is Michael Ray. His students are sharing and commenting on each other's work through Instagram, and they're writing essays like they normally would. They also get to build a fort in their homes for their first assignment. I mean, I think just everybody handling their own, and, you know, if we can kind of build stuff that keeps people in their houses safe and mentally occupied, that's fantastic. But art has many functions during uncertain and trying times like a pandemic. That's something Stork has been thinking about. Some people are spreading information, some people are making masks, other people are kind of documenting the time or creating distraction. Like there's so many ways to go about it. I think it definitely inspires people in a lot of different ways. There are main challenges to learning and creating art from a distance. But these students and faculty got into the arts because of their creativity. And that creativity is helping them overcome those online obstacles. All right, and now it's time for that other perspective I mentioned a while ago, this one from NIE professor Suzanne Diggs-White. They say that too much screen time is bad for your health. Well, almost overnight, the average amount of screen time for everyone went up dramatically when the country went on a face-to-face -face lockdown and dropped into a virtual reality world. Interruptions in social activities and fear of the unknown also affect emotional health. Hours of intense screen time and ergonomically incorrect chairs and less time being active affect physical health as well. Business and social events demand screen time, and Zoom fatigue happens for introverts and extroverts alike. Anyone can be worn down by high-intensity virtual connections. Some ideas for limiting Zoom fatigue include using your phone, not your computer, for some meetings. You can move around more and give your overworked eyes a break. Don't schedule meetings back-to-back -back and take breaks from the screen between meetings. Hydrate, do jumping jacks, just recharge. And take meeting notes with pen and paper. You'll remember more when you write by hand. 
Make sure your home office feels different than your living area, even if it's in the same space, and all you can do is close your screen and switch off your desk lamp. A boundary between work and play is important. While no one knows how much longer we'll be living remote, keeping spatial distance from folks with whom we're emotionally close, or if masks will become as ubiquitous as water bottles and smartphones, we do know that attending to personal wellness is essential today and going forward. The world is shaping its new normal, and we need to embrace the behaviors that will allow us to be as good a resource for others as we want them to be for us. Okay, so full disclosure, this was the first interview I recorded in my new home studio. And by home studio, I mean I paid $12 for a phone recording app, and I was terrified it wasn't going to work. Uh, but it did. It, it worked, kind of. Um, but luckily, as a failsafe, I had Evadne record herself on her end, too. So her audio actually sounds pretty good. Mine, however, does not. It's decipherable, but I am not going to subject you to have to listen to that during quarantine. So this interview is going to be a little bit different than usual, but Evadne was a tremendous guest and a really passionate educator. And I've since deleted that bad recording app, and my recording setup is a lot better now for future episodes. I've even built a little makeshift studio slash blanket fort to give you the best audio quality possible. All right, now without any further ado, because I know that was a lot, here's Evadne Bolin. You know those people who've had their career in mind forever, like since they were kids? The people that you were kind of jealous of in school because it seemed like they had a plan and you didn't? Well, maybe that was just me. Or I kind of felt that way. But Evadne has known that she wanted to be a teacher for a long, long time. You can argue she's been a student teacher for a long time, too, since about the seventh grade. I didn't really like going outside for recess. I was that one, like, weird kid who, like, would rather... I'd always take a book out, and I would sit on the curb, because we played out in the parking lot, and I just would read a book. And so figured, well, instead of reading, I'm going to go see Mrs. Labriolas. She was her old second grade teacher. They had bonded because second grade was Evadne's first year at the school, and she made her feel welcome. And they're still close. Evadne says they still do brunch in the summer and talk on Facebook. So middle school of Adney went to help teach elementary school kids math. Her and a few classmates even set up a little mock store to show them how to count money. When I think about the story now, like it was what I did was was actually like really good. Like I would definitely do that today as a teacher. And so the fact that I did that just in seventh grade really amazed me. She says she even might bring back that idea when she has her own classroom next year. And she will have one. She actually got hired by Little John Elementary in DeKalb back in December. Hopefully by then her kids will actually be in the classroom in person. Right now, like everyone else, she's trying to figure out e-learning. And it's a bit more confusing as a student teacher trying to define your role. While I am a, a teacher in the classroom, I am not like the quote-unquote head teacher in the classroom. Before coronavirus, she was at the stage in her student teaching where she had all but taken over teaching duties. She was writing her own lesson plans and executing them. Now we switch to this online format, so it's kind of difficult to navigate how much am I supposed to be doing now? There's really no roadmap for how to be a student teacher in this situation, because how could there be? Not at Northern Illinois University where she's a student, not anywhere. For now, she's working with students on their e-learning, trying to expand her role to meet whatever needs that might pop up. I do plan on recording some instructional videos or um, some things I've done in the past is when I introduce a topic, I may record like a kind of like a humorous video to get them laughing and engaged, but also learning about the topic. Luckily, she has a supporting teacher that's open to collaboration, figuring out what these new roles should be. And she's being hired within the same district, so at least she'll know how to do that e-learning in the future, but just hopefully for a snowstorm rather than a global pandemic. 
Meeting all of her students' needs and being a teacher they can depend on is who she strives to be. She says, too often educators assume students know something or assume the next teacher will pick up the slack and take care of something. And that can be anything from something incredibly practical, like knowing your address and an emergency contact like a parent or grandma or grandpa. That's a lesson she actually taught with her cooperating teacher this year. It can also be other academic subjects. You know, it happens with cursive. Oh, you learn that in the next grade. You'll learn that there. You'll learn that there. Well, what if they don't? Why can't they just learn that with you? Remember when your third grade teacher told you you'd have to learn it next year because fourth grade on, it's all going to be cursive. I do, and then we never learn cursive, or at least I didn't, so I think I can sign my name, but beyond that, it's pretty rough. Yeah, you fell through, yep, somebody somebody failed you. Evadne is a Golden Apple Scholar and a senior at NIU. Student teaching was the last thing that she needed to complete before graduation. She even overloaded her classes the past few semesters, so she wouldn't have to take any other ones during this time. Others in her education program are doing their college courses online, too, and she says, as of now, reviews are mixed on how it's going. People, at least the students, they are not a fan of it. It's really rough for students that should be doing clinicals, like teaching a few times a week. That definitely will have an impact on their growth and development as a teacher since they're not really involved. They're not required to be involved in the e-learning that the district is doing if the district is doing that. Since she's no longer taking classes, the only NIU change that really affected her is delaying the graduation ceremony. Other schools across the state have straight up canceled their ceremonies, but NIU is just waiting until August for students to hopefully be able to walk. If Edney is understandably not thrilled with the idea of the delay, especially after she worked for four years to get her stoles and her recognition. By then, I'll already be in my teaching career, so it kind of, not that it doesn't mean anything, but its significance isn't really there anymore, if that makes sense. But she could not be more excited to get into the classroom finally. She's taking time right now to read books about teaching topics like urban pedagogy, and she's putting together a classroom book wish list and thinking about what else she's going to implement in her first year. Honestly, she's also thrilled about the little things, like having her name on the door and hearing it over the intercom at the school. Like, I don't have access to a lot of things that the classroom teachers do, and I definitely don't have the paycheck that they have. Um, so <laughs> so that, I think that'll be really cool, just walking in the classroom and... This is my classroom. My name is on the door. When we get the attendance sheets, it's it's Miss Bolin, you know. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. Along with that, send us your suggestions for topics we should be talking about. Email is teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing us, like, leave a rating, subscribe, all that stuff. It just gets more people to listen to the show so we can get even more perspectives. Special thanks, of course, to Evadne Bowen. We couldn't have done the episode without her. A big thanks to the Rockford area band Kind Ofs for the incredible music you hear every episode of this show. Find more of their music on SoundCloud and their appearance on our own sessions from Studio A. And speaking of which, thank you to Spencer Tritt for making our cool Teacher's Lounge logo that you're looking at right now, I hope. And I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very, very soon. Have a great week.